Now, quite often when people talk about what's your purpose, they're talking about the vision that you have for your life, for what you might do, for how God might use you. And this morning we're asking the question, what's your purpose? But we're looking at it from a slightly different perspective, from that of Daniel. What have you purposed in your heart? What lines have you drawn in your life? Now, if you're here this morning and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the message is not as much a challenge to trust Christ as it is for those who know Christ to make a commitment to follow Him. But if you have never asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and be your Savior, the Scripture says you're on your way to hell. If you died today, that's where you would be if you have not received Christ as your Savior. So I want to encourage you to trust Christ. And those of you who have trusted Christ, we want to look in Daniel. We want to look at the life of Daniel. We want to be encouraged by Daniel, by this guy that lived more than 2,500 years ago, yet influences our lives today because God saw to it that Daniel's story would be recorded for us. The book of Daniel is divided into two parts. The first half includes snapshots from the life of Daniel and from his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. In chapter 1, they're likely teenagers, uh, 15, 16 years old. Matthew Henry suggests they might be as old as 20, but they're probably teenage boys. Uh, chapter 2, a little bit later, no idea how old they are, a Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And chapter 3, we don't read about Daniel. It's about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Either Daniel was not required to bow down to the idol or he was on assignment somewhere else uh, because he represented Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar was driven from men and likely Daniel ran the kingdom for a while before Nebuchadnezzar was restored. Chapter 5 is the writing on the wall and the destruction and fall of Babylon. Chapter 6, the den of lions. And in that, Daniel's an old man, probably in his 90s. And then chapters 7 through 12 are visions that God has given to Daniel the prophet. Look in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now take your Bible and turn to Jeremiah 25. We're coming right back here to Daniel, so mark your spot. Jeremiah 25. It's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. So Jeremiah is just a couple of books before. Jeremiah chapter 25. Excuse me. Jeremiah 25, are you there? Okay, a lot of you are, so we'll go ahead and read. Look at verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah, when? In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Joash, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So Jeremiah says, the fourth year, back to Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. What year did Daniel say? The third year. Well, why? Well, critics would say it's because the Bible is inconsistent and doesn't make sense. But, but the truth is, they had two different calendars. They had a religious calendar and they had a civil calendar. 
The religious year began in Nisan, or April of our calendar. The civil year began in Tishri, or October of our calendar. And so we have the same thing today, by the way. Like Ben Mollett is a freshman in high school this year. Right, Ben? Yeah. He's also going to be a sophomore in high school this year. This calendar year. But this school year, he's only a freshman. The calendar year, he's going to, this fall or winter and spring, be a freshman. And then in the fall, he'll be a sophomore. So we do the same thing today. We have fiscal years and we have calendar years. The government, business, schools, they have different calendar systems. And so there is no contradiction. Jeremiah, who was basically a prophet, that was his focal point of his ministry, he used the religious calendar. Daniel, who was a prophet, but primarily involved in government, he used the civil calendar. And that seems appropriate for them to do. So there was no contradiction. Abraham came out of Ur of the Chaldees. At this time in history of Daniel, uh, the Chaldeans ruled over the Babylonian Empire. Chaldeans ruled in Babylon for about 100 years. It's like in America, we've had different parties. Um, some of you are old enough maybe to remember the Whig Party. Uh, but we have the Democratic Party and we have the Republican Party. We have different parties that have existed. And, and so for a time, a Republican Party can be in. And during Ronald Reagan and then George H.W. Bush, we had three presidencies in a row were Republican, and then two in a row were Democrat, then two in a row were Republican, then two in a row were Democrat. It's varied. It's offset. But um, in Babylon, the Chaldeans took power, and so they ruled over the government for about 100 years. Um, This area of the world is modern-day Iraq. Uh, That's where Babylon was, and In fact, Saddam Hussein was trying to rebuild Babylon, and uh, that didn't work so well for him. Uh, Babylon, the city, was about 900 to 1,000 miles away from Jerusalem, and Daniel was probably carried off in 605 B.C. when he was 15 or 16 years old, and then he would write uh, this book about 530 B.C. when he was in his early 90s. Ezekiel was carried to Babylon about 597 B.C., and the Jerusalem temple was destroyed in 586 when Daniel was likely around 35 years old. Now, Jesus himself credits Daniel as being the author of this book. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. In verse 2, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his, Nebuchadnezzar's, hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the articles unto the, into the treasure house of his God. Now, I imagine Nebuchadnezzar was probably proud of his battlefield victory, not even realizing that God had previously said that's exactly what would happen. The prophet Habakkuk said the outcome of the conflict would be Babylon would take Israel captive and haul them away. Micah and Jeremiah foretold the Babylonian victory long before Babylon had become a powerful nation. The victory was a gift from the Lord. The victories in your life are also 
a gift from the Lord. The part of the vessels of the temple were taken and those very vessels will show up later and be involved in the downfall of Babylon seven decades later. In about 687 B.C., when Babylonian ambassadors to Israel, King Hezekiah, uh, Babylonian ambassadors came to King Hezekiah because King Hezekiah had been sick, and then King Hezekiah showed them everything. And Isaiah said, "Uh, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah said, I showed them everything. Now, take your Bible, please, and turn to Isaiah. We just looked in Jeremiah. The book before that is Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 39. Uh, it's important that we uh, see this connection. Isaiah chapter 39. Isaiah chapter 39, we're going to begin in verse number 5. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house And what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now jump back to Psalm 46. I'm sorry, to Daniel. (laughs) That's really weird. Jump back to Daniel. The book of Daniel, chapter 1, verse 3. The king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies. Now, we'll come back to that in just a minute. But 82 years after Isaiah said, Hezekiah, here's what's going to happen. Now, that's exactly what has happened. The Babylonians have come in. They have conquered. They have taken away those of the king's seed, the children of the kings. And they have hauled them away to Babylon. God not only knows the end from the beginning, but he is also the sovereign Lord over the circumstances of life. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was just doing his own thing. He was going to Israel. He was conquering. He was hauling people off. He had no idea that he was fulfilling the very word of God professed through the prophet Isaiah. We have free will. Now, I... I, I know people who are absolute diehard that God is sovereign over every moment of every day. And sometimes I, I feel the urge to punch him in the nose and ask him, why did God want me to do that? <laughs> so, but, but listen carefully. We have some free will. We have what the Bible would describe as limited free will. So there are some choices that we can make and not make. But there are boundaries that we can't cross. God has set boundaries in our lives. And God said he he allowed the children of Israel to sin. And he allowed Babylon to come in. 
but they only had the freedom to go within the parameters that God had established. Babylon could not wipe out the nation of Israel and destroy it from the face of the earth because God was protecting it. Israel could not choose to fight off Babylon because God was disciplining Israel. The prophets Micah and Isaiah, Habakkuk and Jeremiah, all warned the children of Israel to repent. And they did not. So we have to realize that God has parameters and we have some limited free will. We can obey God or not obey God, but there are consequences that we have no control over. And when we disobey God, there are consequences in our lives, just as there were consequences in the nation of Israel. So we choose, we need to choose to follow him. Now, you see in verse 3, it talks about eunuchs. And originally a eunuch was a castrated man that the kings would put over their harem to make sure the guys couldn't be involved. And, um, but that Hebrew word began to be used to describe someone serving in government. It's used for Potiphar in Genesis 37, who was a married man. So it doesn't necessarily mean they were castrated. It just means they became eunuchs serving in the government. Uh, the chosen ones uh, that they would choose to take had to be good-looking, poised, brilliant, teachable, and of noble birth. Now, <coughs> excuse me, within the church, uh, not not everywhere, but sometimes within the church, there's been this idea that it, that God doesn't, you don't have to be educated. That the more educated you are, the more of a problem it is. I, I know when I was a kid, uh, some pastors would uh, tell people, don't ever go to seminary. You go to seminary, you'll become liberal because some of the seminaries are bad. So go to a good one. <laughs> There's some great seminaries that really help you, teach you, and instruct you. But there was a resistance against those who were too smart or too educated or too rich or too politically activated or active and too shrewd in politics. And, and maybe it comes from what Paul told the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise men according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that, I'm sorry, to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So, you know, there's almost this pride of, I ain't got no education, but I love Jesus. That, that, that's not necessarily true today, but it was in the church. Who's the guy who wrote those words to the church in Corinth? The Apostle Paul. In his day, he was one of the most educated. 
In our culture today, we would say Paul had multiple earned doctorates. He could fluently speak in multiple languages. I am almost fluent in English. And Paul could fluently speak in lots of languages. Every now and then, Kathy and Megan start speaking in Spanish, so the girls and I just look, what's going on? I understand if they say, you know, those key words like burrito and taco, but (laughs) I'm a little lost on some of the other stuff. But listen, please remember, Daniel was brilliant. Daniel was a key political leader. God can use politicians. God can use rich people. God can use smart people. They just need to be smart enough to realize that God is the genius and all power belongs to him. So they chose these guys, these chosen ones. And they were going to do a three-year intensive study program designed to educate and indoctrinate. They were going to teach him the language and culture of the Chaldeans. And then he was going to, verse 5, he appointed a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. So here's what they were trying to focus on. They were trying to change their language to have them learn the language of the Chaldeans. They were trying to change their taste after three years of the best delicacies available. Then they would long for that. They were trying to change their culture so that they might live as Babylonians, to change their thinking so they might think as Chaldeans, to change their faith so that they might believe as Chaldeans. They were being discipled away from the Lord and unto the false religious teachings of the Caledonians. They were trained to be statesmen and not warriors. Part of this indoctrination was to give them a new name. Uh, Some of you have experienced that. When I went in the Marine Corps boot camp, uh, everybody had a nickname. The drill instructors called very few guys by their actual name. Most of them they called by different names. And we had one guy in our battalion that was really kind of homely. And the drill instructors called him Frankie because they said he looked like Frankenstein. Their goal was to beat you down and totally indoctrinate you. So they changed your living quarters. They changed your sleep habits. They changed the way you dress, the way you wore your hair. They even changed your name. And that's what they're doing in Babylon. In verse number six, now among those of the sons of Judah, those who were princes in Israel, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel, whose name meant Yahweh is my judge. His name was changed to Belteshazzar, which means protected by Bel, their God. Uh, He changed Hananiah um, to Shadrach. Hananiah meant the Lord shows grace 
And Shadrach meant uh, a command of Aku, the moon god of Babylon. To Mishael, the name was given Meshach. Mishael means who is like Yahweh, but it was changed to be who is as Aku is. And then uh, Azariah was changed to Abednego. Uh, Azariah means the Lord is my help, but Abednego means servant of Nego or Nebo, the god in Babylon. So they had names that reflected the worship of the one true God, and their names were changed to reflect the worship of the false gods of Babylon, part of the indoctrination. Verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, somebody said the Babylonians could change their names, but they could not change their nature. I kind of like that. Daniel's resolve was the same as their three friends. They would reject the food of the king. Why? Well, there were certain Jewish laws for food preparation. It had to be kosher. The blood had to be drained. We looked at that in the video a little earlier on our, this Daniel 1.8 is our memory verse for uh, January. Uh, the food could not be contaminated by unclean animals. It could not have been offered to idols. And they chose not to eat the king's meat and delicacies. Why did they reject the wine? For some of the same reasons, but I think also in Scripture, when somebody was really dedicating their life to the Lord, part of that vow was to not drink alcohol. And this choice to eat vegetables, some call it vegetable mush, we don't know exactly what it looked like, but it did not include any of the fine dining all the other guys would eat. This was not a choice for healthier living. Maybe some of you have, you don't eat meat or you don't eat red meat or you eat fruits and vegetables and, and you can have a healthy diet with that. I frequently have a meal without meat. I don't know as I've ever got a week without it or a day without it, but, but I have meals that do not include meat. And that's okay as long as you're eating healthfully. This was not a healthful choice. This was a spiritual choice. Daniel didn't say, I am not going to eat that fattening food. Give me the lean vegetables. That's not what was going on at all. It was a spiritual choice to depend on God and not on the king. And Daniel purposed not to defile himself. Now remember, it seemed like God had turned his back on Daniel. The armies of Babylon had come over. They had conquered Jerusalem. They had kidnapped these princes of Israel. They had taken them over to Babylon, a journey of 900 to 1,000 miles up and over, and they were now servants or slaves of the king of Babylon. And it looked like God had turned his back on them. Everything they had known, everything they had been raised in, it was all taken away. Their family, their other friends, it was all taken away. And so sometimes when people go through hard times, they feel like God has turned their back on them. They get angry with God. 
They get pouty. They throw a fit. I did that. Long time ago, before we had our first child, Kathy and I were expecting and our baby died. And I had loved the job I had. I'd left that job and I was following the Lord's leading in my life and we were struggling financially and going through difficult times. We only had a place to live because somebody let us live in a house in their backyard. All we had to pay was utilities. That's all we could afford. And we were struggling. And I was, you know, sacrificing for the Lord and God let our baby die. And I was so frustrated with God. I, I got over it, obviously. Daniel didn't have to get over it. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah didn't have to get over it. They chose to trust God even when the circumstances didn't look like God was faithful. They chose to trust. When it looked like God had turned his back on him, Daniel purposed not to file himself. Before he knew how God was working in the heart of the prince or chief of the eunuchs, before he knew what would, whether it would be approved, before he knew that God would richly bless him because of this choice, before he knew the king would be amazed at their learning, before he knew that it would all work out, Daniel purposed in his heart. He said, I'm going to honor God no matter what. And his friends joined with him. When he thought he could be imprisoned or even executed, he still purposed in his heart. First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Daniel understood that long before those verses were written. He understood that truth and made that choice. And when you and I partner with the Lord, we too can do something eternal. He purposed in his heart. He made that choice. He made a covenant commitment with the Lord God. And we can do the same thing. See, about 2,622 years ago, give or take a couple of years, some teenage boys decided they would rather glorify God and then to enjoy the comforts of the king. That's not a normal choice for teenage boys. But that was the choice they made. And guess what? Their choice changed the course of history. I was given a book for Christmas. I haven't read it yet. I read the beginning. And there's a quote at the beginning of chapter 1 which says, Nobody can go back and start a new beginning, but anyone can start today and make a new ending. Now for some of us, it's been a while since we were teenage boys. 
But we can still make a commitment today that would honor God for the rest of our lives. You can purpose in your heart not to love the world. You can find joy in Christ and not in the opportunities the world has to offer. You can purpose in your heart not to defile yourself. You can overcome sin. You can purpose in your heart to honor God, to be content with less of this world and more of Christ. You can live spiritually in an increasingly secular world. You can choose to live with the awareness that eternity is not just someday out there. Eternity is right now in our hearts. You can purpose in your heart to pursue the riches of Christ and not the trinkets of this world. Daniel purpose in his heart. What's your purpose? What have you purposed in your heart? I'm going to ask Kathy to come and play and Jim will come and lead us in a song in a minute. But before we sing, I want you to bow your heads. I want you not to look around at other people. This is just between you and God. How you doing in that relationship? Have you purposed in your heart that you will honor Him? Have you purposed in your heart that you will say no to some of the things this world has to offer? Have you made a choice that you will follow God? Daniel purposed in his heart. What have you purposed in your heart? Jim comes to lead us in that song. I hope that for this year, you'll put Christ first. Your finances will be ruled by your love for Christ. Your calendar will be ruled by your love for Christ. Uh, where you spend your Sundays will be ruled by your love for Christ, just as what you do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. That we will purpose in our heart to live with purpose, on purpose, for the purpose of bringing glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's stand as we sing.